Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. This actually, this interview has been brewing for a long time, for a long, yeah, for a long time. Um, and um, joining me is Betty Rogers. She's a film, uh, are you a film producer, a filmmaker? What do you call yourself? Oh, usually filmmaker, but yes, producer and director. Okay, so Betty is all of those things. Can is her uh, husband, and um, Ken is former Marine, uh, 1st Bravo Company, 1st Battalion, 26 Marines, uh, Vietnam veteran, Quezon guy, and uh, Ken, what do you call yourself? Uh, the helper. You're the helper? <laughs> yeah, I'm the helper. There you go. There you go. We love candor on this program. Um, yeah. So, I, I, first of all, before um, – I see Ken and Betty all the time. They don't know this. Well, they kind of do because I tell them it every once in a while. But um, in, um, in post-traumatic winning, which I'll do again tomorrow um, down in San Diego, um, Ken is, is appears in it. And then right at the end of Ken's um, uh, little audio clip – and there's a series of pictures of he, and the last one is a picture of he and Betty standing, I don't know, at some event that I have, uh, smiling. And uh, so just so everybody knows, Ken's got some pretty serious issues. And so I was really anxious to hear, to meet Betty because she looks at him and sees Romeo. And <laughs> um, so we're at the VFW, I think, after Lieutenant Colonel Pipes' funeral. And so we we're sitting there, and I said, you know, Betty, it's really interesting to meet you because as many issues as Ken has, you obviously have more because in him you see Romeo. And Ken says, finally, somebody figures it out. <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, we met, and we become friends, and, uh, um, and, and uh, one of the points I make in that one of the things that changes your life, Ken, is – you know, you said I met a woman who knew that I had to articulate what happened to me in Vietnam, and that kind of launches you guys down this road. Um, care to talk about that for a minute? Me? Yeah, you. Oh, yeah, that's true. You know, it's like uh, I did. I, you know, I was married once before, and that woman that wife was really not didn't want to hear about my experiences in vietnam i mean she didn't and you know that's okay that's the way it was and you know i think i was pretty uptight about all that without really knowing it uh and so when i first met betty i don't know i just spilled the beans and told her what had happened and she listened and it was like she didn't judge me she didn't Tell me to don't talk about that. Uh, she didn't get weird. She just accepted it and accepted me for what I was. And so now she's stuck with me. So. 
(laughs) (laughs) Is so, Betty, where does that come from? Because, you know, the problem, quote unquote, problem Vietnam veteran is the stuff of legends, right? Um, so how are you somehow able to, to see beyond what would have scared most women off? Well, I guess I have to thank my mother because she always, um, appreciated our family, um, um, people who went into the armed services and, you know, I had cousins in the Vietnam war and, um, my mother often, uh, interviewed and and took shorthand writing their stories down and so um, that part of it I grew up with <clears throat> but wow. then um, uh, you know and I'm I'm a the Vietnam War was uh, you know my generation and we all had different experiences with it um, and so that's that's kind of my background for um, you know, understanding that it was um, something that we all needed to remember and um, and and honor the the people who served. Talk to me about. I mean, I think it's interesting. So, your was it your mother that transcribed? Mm-hmm. And what did she transcribe there? Oh, she'd sit and talk, even with um, my dad, who um, served in World War II. And she'd just sit down and talk to them and, and transcribe their stories. So you have at least a, a piece of this in your background. Yes, very much so. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What, so um, <clears throat> one of the interesting things, I think, in one of the interviews I've done with, with Ken is that where does the idea for Bravo come from? Um, obviously you get, uh, you get a chance to, by virtue of your relationship to go meet, um, all those guys, uh, and their families and whatnot that, that are part of Bravo company 126. Right. And, and, uh, so where does this idea for what will ultimately become Bravo come from? Uh, well, we were there with our um, friends and and uh, the veterans of Quezon, the siege of Quezon, and uh, their wives, and uh, we'd sit and listen to people talking, and I would see the men at the tables, uh, you know, expressing things they would not normally talk about um, with each other, and I started learning what heroes they were. Um, you know, someone would walk by and I'd say to Ken, who's that? Everybody seems to, you know, have a lot of respect for him. And and um, and he'd tell me their story. And just gradually, probably because of my mom, it, it's, you know, it just got into me that, that um, we needed to find a way to preserve their stories because no one had ever done a film or, you know, there are many books written about it. Um, but it's... Um, you know, it just hadn't been put into something that that could be shared with the world, um, you know, in the way that film does. Right. And so your first, when you first decided to kind of record this stuff or document it, it was for just the, the use of that small group? Or what was your intent when you when you began to go down this road? Oh, it was definitely to preserve the stories of what happened there during that 77 days when they were under siege. 
Okay. And yeah. so, but then somehow or other, when does it, um, when does it get in your head that we should do, that there's such substance here? How, how does that happen where you go from, we'll just preserve this to, there's a bigger story to be told here and something, um, because for those of you that don't know, you could find Bravo, exclamation mark, common men, uncommon valor on Amazon Prime. Um, and it is, it, <laughs> it is an unbelievable piece of work and uh, it's an award-winning piece of work. When does that get into your head? Well, honestly, when, when Ken and I travel, um, drive in the car for, you know, days at a time, um, as we love to do, um, we talk about things, and that's when we come up with our ideas and so forth. And it was literally on the way home from that reunion in Denver that um, we were saying, okay, we want to do this. We know we're going to do something. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. What? Okay. Wait a you 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 said you wanted to do it. I I was like I was like what? <laughs> what are you crazy? So. <laughs> but we were talking. Okay, so we could we could write a book. Well, Ken's a writer, but he he you know he likes to write fiction. Um, then we thought, well, we can record interviews and have those with for posterity. Well, what do you do with with interviews and so the more we talked the more we realized that the best way to tell that story was to let the men tell it themselves and um, it needed to be in a documentary so literally the importance of it came to us on that trip home from that reunion and because you guys are documentary filmmakers this all makes sense right well, we had never made a film before, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I watch successful people and what they do is surround themselves with um, experts and other people who, um, you know, can bring their, their expertise to the table. And so we came back to Boise and, and uh, got right in the middle of the film people here, and and they immediately encouraged us and said we could do it. So we've never looked back. Okay, so now, um, again, we're going to talk about uh, their upcoming documentary called I Married the War. So we're going to get to that in a second. Um, so so can you do, you guys do this thing? And explain to me, if you would, what begets I Married the War? Well, you know, it... Well, it... Go ahead, Ken. Go ahead. Well, we went to uh, one of these reunions and we were talking about it. I mean, it may have been even we were screening it because we screened the film at several of our reunions. And one of the guys that was in the film said to Betty, you know, Betty, you're a veteran too because you guys are married to us. And... That kind of got the her brain working, and so that's what I think happened. What do you think happened, Betty? Yeah, definitely, that was part of it. Um, I was just going to say that um, th there were several seeds that that were planted. Um, one of the most powerful to me was after we showed Bravo the first time to only the men in the film and their wives. Um, 
the uh, one of the wives we learned later went back to her room and bawled and bawled and bawled and apologized to her husband for not understanding what he had gone through and she had been telling him move on you know get rid of all this military stuff in the house you know don't don't live in the past let's move forward and she never fully embraced what an important part of his life it was and and never fully understand understood where his trauma you know how it's manifested in PTSD and so forth all through their married life and finally it dawned on her and and that really has stuck with me and then um, and then that comment and then our editor who uh, edited Bravo for us, John Nutt, um, once we were through it, he says, okay, what's your next film? <laughs> and got us started thinking about, um, you know, what another important story that needed to be told. And believe me, as we did the interviews for Bravo and then, and then showed it around the country, um, and the wives would be there, and, and, um, and we started hearing their stories, you know, afterwards you're you're mingling with the people, and they come up and talk to you about what's happened with them, and and we became more and more aware that there was another story that needed to be told. The um, so let's talk about that. So um, first of all, gives everybody a sense of in terms of time, um, how much time between the the that car ride home when you guys. You know, the first seeds are planted that will ultimately become Bravo. Um, what is the flash to bang between that idea until um, you begin showing it publicly? How how much time elapses? Ken, wouldn't you say about no, we, two years? No, I don't even think it was that long. About a year and a half. Hmm. The... Um, so even though you have this in your head, this is not a uh, – this is – I know because I've kind of watched this one a little bit. Um, this, this is a, a painstaking process to have it come out the way you want it to. Um, did When you thought like, yeah, there's another story to tell here um, and, you know, money's an issue uh, and we'll talk about that. But um, did you ever think, you know what, you know – we're driving around the country taking pictures with the constant refrain phrase of in the year of COVID that Ken posts all the time. Um, and then there's this beautiful picture of some landscape or something that he's seen. We could be doing that or we could be, you know, we could be making another documentary. Uh, was there ever a sense like, yeah, you know, we're probably okay. Just like taking pictures. Well, Sure. Um, because as you say it's you know making documentaries is really what our life is you know and um, sometimes it's a challenge Um, this film has taken longer to make um, because of for one of the things you mentioned you know the financial end of it Um, and just developing it and getting the story right and so forth so um, and but you know, we've never we've never said, oh, let's forget about it. You know, I mean, th- this is important. This is important. 
Interesting. Ken, how about you? Did you ever, were you, were you anxious about a second project or respectful of the difficulty and the complexity, not only financial, but in terms of time and commitment to, to you guys? Uh, Oh, you know, I mean, like, you know, I think I didn't, I didn't understand the difference of the two, the two projects is probably the thing that I, I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, Bravo was a story that this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. And all we had to do was get people to talk about it, basically. And so it ha- it came together really fast. And uh, so I kind of anticipated that the new film would be that way. But it's not like that because we've interviewed women from World War II, era, Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan, Desert Storm, Iraq. And... Although they are all telling the same story, putting that together in some kind of form where people are going to be interested in watching it has turned out to be a different kind of gig for us. And, you know, we had a lot of the information, but then trying to get it to fit into something that, you know, gets your attention and holds it through uh, 90 minutes is was, you know, been interesting and i don't i never wanted to quit you know i mean i thought when i right after we made bravo i don't want to do any of that ever again you know that that that's just that was too much but it didn't take much to convince me to go on and and uh you know i i tell people i'm not going to make any more but they laugh at me so. <laughs> somehow or other that uh that that's ringing hollow to me bringing ringing hollow to me as well um all right, so let's talk about I Married the War. So you see these reactions, and Betty, this is this is your life, really, right? Yes, um, yes. Right, in, in public, this really cool picture that I have of you guys, uh, very dressed up. I, it, I don't know if Ken's in a tuxedo, but he's in something close. He's got his medals on, his small medals on, and you guys look fantastic. But behind that, for all these different families, is a very different reality. There's somebody who's been deeply affected, and in the case of Vietnam veterans, ignored, you know, and, and I could almost recite for you verbatim, right, what Ken says about, um, well, you know what? Give me one second and I will play the thing um, about. Um, about himself. Right. And the part that always sticks out to me, uh, he starts with. You know, when you drink and have PTSD, you're an asshole, and um, which is in fact true. Um, but you know, he talks about himself, and he says, you know, you know, and essentially, I didn't care. I didn't care if I hurt your feelings. And so, let me just play this if I can. Uh, if I oh, there he is, looking like a badass in front of all those sandbags. That's a great. <laughs> that's a great. I love me picture, Ken. So. <laughs> This is Ken. This is the part of the, the. This is the picture. This is the audio that I play in every version of post-traumatic winning. You you get to a if you do it long enough, you get to a point where you is you you add it, you accurately describe what you do. You you destroy your life. You destroy the lives of the people who love you. You destroy your friendships because people just get tired of putting up with you. You know you're an asshole. When you drink and have PTSD, you're an asshole. I was. I was just an ass. I was sarcastic, cynical, pissed people off, hurt their feelings, uh, and didn't care. 
and until I, you know, I got married a second time, I was still drinking heavily. And, uh, but I married a woman who understood that I needed to be able to articulate what had happened to me in Vietnam. And she listened, and I came to the conclusion that she wasn't going to stick around very long if I didn't get my shit together. So what what, ma- what, what, what makes you stop drinking, ultimately? Well, you know, I just figured out that I was either going up or down, and it was my choice, and I better do it now because I was about past the point of no return. Because I was like drinking a case of beer a day and then maybe a bottle of wine or half a fifth of whiskey or, you know, I mean, I was consuming large amounts of alcohol. So everybody in that you've met has lived a, a version of that, yes? And it's not something that they really signed up for when I looked at Romeo and met him. You know, I didn't, you know, I didn't think that that would be so much my life would not be dominated, you know, by the events of Vietnam. And um, so as you guys, as you guys kind of see this, how do you put that together in a narrative that does hold somebody's attention uh, for 90 minutes. And so I'm, I'm curious about that. If you don't mind taking us, you know, how do you tell the story of the people involved in um, I Married the War? Right. And that took us some time to figure out. Um, we started out um, wanting to uh, address the issues that that we all face as um as the wives of combat veterans, um, you know, we we were rolling with PTSD and then TBI and things like that, and and um, and we realized this isn't working because this isn't a clinical film. This is a film about the heart and about the relationship between two people, and so we um, this we took a totally different approach, and now. It's a, a beautiful story told by the wives um, about their lives and um, and how they work through and love their men and and uh, love them through their problems and you know how what they do for um, their own um, you know self care and and so forth um, and how they learn you know learning about um, PTSD. I'll never forget. Um, we were at one of these reunions, and we reluctantly attended um, a session on PTSD. We we were not interested. You know, Ken didn't have PTSD. Of course, of course <laughs> and, not. Um, so we we but we went in, and they started talking about it and what the manifestations of PTSD are. And this was a room full of husbands and wives. And all of us wives started looking around the room at each other and kind of like, oh my God, you know, he's describing my husband. And we all these women had the same reaction. And um, so it's, you know, it's through learning um, about this. And, and each of the wives talks about what they've learned and how, how they've made the um, the adjustments um, or just you know the full understanding of what this is all about I mean that's what your post-traumatic winning is 
I love this, your, your lead on your Facebook page. Traumatic experiences aren't a death sentence or a dead-end street. With education and a guide and mentor to help you, you can not only live a good life, you can live a great life. And these women um, teach us that in their stories. You know, I find that um, the most important part is um, is the education piece. Mm-hmm. I, you know, what, what I encounter is that so many people, uh, and you guys are all examples, right? Uh, well, Ken doesn't have PTSD. Right. He, he, just, <laughs> he just has some anger episodes. And, yeah, you know, you know, probably shouldn't drink as much as he's drinking. But you know what? He's a great guy. And, you know, and, 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 and we all – but we just don't know. And then all of a sudden when you start talking about it – and then I think, though, for me, one of the most important things that happened was I was introduced to education by my company, Gunny. Somebody who I respected, who I knew loved me, who would die for me. And mm-hmm. when he looks at me and says, there's nothing wrong with you. You know that. You're not going to get over this. And to this day, that comforts me. To, mm-hmm. this, to this day. And so when somebody who you respect and, and not – and again, I think so often that we – you know, one of the things that happens is this stuff is brought to us by people that we're looking at going, okay, like I don't know who this is, but, you know – this guy or girl is not talking to me, not speaking my language, and we're totally put off by it. And we need to hear it from people like you guys, from normal people that are peers, because most of us don't have serious mental illnesses. We're just struggling with life. And and until somebody tells you the truth, you don't have that epiphany moment like you had, uh, Betty, where you say, oh, my God, he's talking about us, and he's describing him and me the way we live mm-hmm. right now. And then ultimately that opens up this door for you. So, so that's kind of your, that's kind of your epiphany. Um, Ken, let me ask you this. Were you dismissive of this idea at the start? The the film? Yes. Well, you know, I mean, like I'm, I was like, I never thought when we were talking about Bravo, I never thought we'd make a movie. So I didn't dismiss it because I didn't believe it would happen. Uh, You know, I was interested in telling the story. I was interested in interviewing the guys, but initially driving back from Denver with my wife telling me we needed to make a film, <laughs> I didn't really believe it would happen. So I went into this as kind of a carefree attitude that, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go wrong, but it ain't going to happen. <laughs> so that shows you how much I know. And uh, <laughs> so it was like, and I, you know, I mean, like I've been, I'm, I'm all in, man. I mean, I'm in. So, you know, I, I was, you know, Bravo was my story. So in this story, I've tried to kind of in some way stay in the background because I'm, I deliver. I, I'm not a delivery. I mean, I'm, I'm one that delivers the misery. So, you know, these people need to tell the story of what it's like to live with somebody like me. And so Betty's done this, uh, a lot of this on her own. And, and uh, she's, wants to talk about something, we talk about it. And I've helped on the arc of the, the narrative some. And, you know, I helped with some of the interviews and that kind of stuff. But this has been pretty much her project. And she's got some women in the background of this endeavor that are amazing, that have helped her out uh, in great ways. And, you know, so it, and I think it behooved me to just keep my nose out of it. 
and be the helper. Yeah, I'll be the helper. There you go. There you go. Um, Mac, Mac, these things would never happen without my husband. Let me tell you, he's being humble. <laughs> he is kind of that guy, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, all right, all right. The, um, um, I just... You know, when you you make reference to post traumatic winning, because that's what uh, that's what the, that's the path that these women go down, right? Yes. Um, and they're and they're going to go down this when when their story begins to have a national impact on other women, and and not just not just spouses of combat veterans, but spouses of anybody who's gone through traumatic events, right? We we all want to act like combat is so different, right? But at the end of the day. It is it is a different certainly set of circumstances that generates a life changing event, and an event that you don't get over, an event that you can't forget, an event that has a a significant impact. Well, and again, I, I always talk about well, you know, if if you think that's the case, I want to introduce you to my sister, or I want to introduce you to Elizabeth Smart, and I think you know even even hardened you know guys who've been to war would say. I'm not sure I'm in that zip code, right? And 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 so, and so, they're going to have an experience that is going to be life changing for them. Um, tell me about that. So, Betty, as you're making this thing, and as you begin to craft it, and you begin to see it come together, um, how exciting is it? Because it's not simply, in my opinion, and or or maybe you guys don't agree with me. Is this simply a movie? about combat PTSD and the women who dealt with it, or is this a much broader subject? Oh, sure. It's much. Go ahead, Ken. Well, it's a lot broader because we also discuss some issues of physical injury and Agent Orange exposure and suicide and TBI. And, you know, it's, it's a broader, a, a broader stroke of the brush you know, instead of just PTSD, although that's extremely apparent in every one of the interviews in some form or the other, except one of them. Uh, and uh, so it's like we talk about it, that these women talk about a lot of this stuff. And some of the interviews that we got through, maybe we only talked about one or two issues in each of the interviews that came out. I mean, we talked about all this stuff. You know, we've got hours and hours and hours of interviews with these women, but we only used a certain amount of them. Got so, it. Betty? Is that clear? Does that make sense? Yep. No, it does. Betty? Yeah. Um, well, the the wives, I, I guess one of the things that's um, really spoken to me is, well, first of all, when we're done with the interview, with each of the women, I I we just would stand there as we were walking away, saying to each other, "Oh my goodness, we could make an entire film from this one interview." You know, this yes. one person and their experiences, and and then afterwards to learn how doing the interview, telling their stories, affected them, and you know that that they had never really thought about how it impacted them because that's kind of what we do we you know we go forward with life and and um deal with with you know the hard stuff and keep moving forward and 
and um, so they they stopped to think about it and and what they were going to say, you know, when when we interviewed them and. Um, it actually changed um, the direction of some of the lives in the process. So, to me, that was huge. Well, tell to them, tell, that, tell, them to get, tell them to get ready because they're going to get their lives changed again. As, as you know, and so you're talking about the whole act of disclosure, right? That, yes. That what's amazing is people have done this for decades and kept it all inside of them. Yes. Right. And and I think there's a special aspect associated with combat veterans, and that is that is a deference to somebody who served and fought, right, and now lives with this. And so spouses the most I think some of the most deferential people on the planet because they they know our struggles, mm-hmm. and, and they don't say shit about them. Mm-hmm. Right. They're, at least mm-hmm. not in public. Right. They're very respectful. You're like, oh, look at them. They look so great in their clothes. And here's Betty in her nice dress with her. It's kind of this black and I don't know, it might be a navy. And there's Ken in his suit with his yellow tie and all those. They, they look like the picture of Americana from Idaho, for God's sakes. Bird watching, taking pictures. <laughs> right. What a beautiful, lovely, perfect couple. Right. And then, you know, but the reality is, you know, vastly different. And, um, with with all of his challenges and and spouses, in my opinion, now this is I, I'm curious about it now that you've done this documentary and the documentary documentary is called I Married the War, and we're gonna talk about where they are with it in a second. Um, but I think that lack of knowledge, I think that we've lived in for so long that I I in some way shape or form try to fight, um, contributes to the problem because I don't think spouses are are. Um, I don't think they're predisposed to say, no, stop. This is not how we're going to live. I'm not going to give you that space. And you've got you've to talk about your stuff for our sake, not just for your sake. Um, I'd be curious about your thoughts on that, Betty, now after watching, um, after doing all the interviews you've done. Well, one of the women uh, said to me that after, you know, following up on what you, what you just said, um, one of the women said, after all my husband went through, who am I to complain? You know? And and I think a lot of people have that attitude that, that um, you know, what, I, what I'm going through can, is nowhere near as bad as what this other person went through. And I think that's natural, and, and I think it's natural, and I think it's normal. I had an interesting yeah. experience where I was doing this at Camp Lejeune, and... There was, you know, for, for, for spouses. So it's predominantly women there. And there's a woman sitting in front in the in the first or second row to my left. And I will say for two-thirds of the presentation, she has tears coming down her face. And what's interesting about women, uh, it's, it's there's some of my favorite presentations because they know we're faking it. And they look at me and they're like, my husband saw this? I said, yep, today. And and then she stayed afterwards with her friend, and um, she looks at me and she says, I don't know if you noticed. And I said, oh, I did. I said, what was that about? And she got a little embarrassed. And I, I said, just so everybody knows, her name's Berta. Berta had tears coming down her you know, face for maybe half to two-thirds of the thing. She said, well, I was raised by... Um, a mother who had a lot of problems. I grew up in Brazil. 
alcohol being one of them. And uh, it was very unpleasant physically in my house. And I've always subordinated my own childhood trauma to my husband's combat trauma. And what you did tonight was you told me that I was important. Hmm. Interesting, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because, again, this this combat thing sucks the air out of the room. And I'm not saying, and I'm not trying to trivialize it or say that it shouldn't. All I'm saying is there's this deference afforded that creates this space that allows somebody for decades to behave a certain way when there's a better way. But we don't really talk about the better way because we don't really talk about the issue. And you guys have done exactly that. You guys have thrown kind of the carcass in the, in the middle of the room with I Married the War. Your thoughts on any of that? I beg your pardon? Betty? Yeah. Uh, no, Betty, I'm good. let him have it. <laughs> let me have it, Betty. Your thoughts on any of that? I'm sorry. You're, uh, you're fading out on the... On the call here. Hmm. Well, I hear you good, and and so you want to come use my telephone? So no, go ahead. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Okay, so you meet these women that have all gone through their own things in life, right? Right. And yet, um, they've also had to be a caregiver for a combat veteran. Right. And, and and we tend not to go there, right? We tend to defer to combat veterans and give them their space, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And and that behavior, a lot of times, the alcohol and whatnot, goes on for decades, and they've lived with this. Right. I'm curious your thoughts on all of that. Well, you're right, you're right on. I mean, that's the story. Um, and, and, and they've lived with it, and then... It seems that most of them get to a certain point where they're not sure they can continue living with it. And that's when they take action. Um, You know, either find counseling, find a friend who understands. Um, It's it's like one of the, uh, um, a woman who's worked closely with us on the film said, I want my neighbors to know what I live with every day. And so um, I think that's, that is what's going to happen with this, is people are going to learn what it's like and um, understand better. And, you know, it's, it's our job to, um, as, as with you, education, you know. All right. Now, I want to talk about where you guys are in this whole project. Let me just tell you, I think that, that you're – this documentary is going to be a big deal because again, I don't see this as, um, a, I see this as a trauma related event. Um, not a combat trauma related event, although that's what you specifically explore. And I would, you know, you could have got the same interviews with spouses of first responders. I would think Mm -hmm. you could have got the same interviews with spouses of domestic violence victim or violent crime. You know, uh, I would think that so to me, there's this universal applicability in that you are telling a story for a lot of different classes of people out there. Um, Tell me where you guys are in all of this. We are. 
almost done. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we um, the content of the film is complete. Um, our composer has been working up some some perfect music for the film, Sarah Baker, and um, we are now in the process of finishing that music, um, putting it into the film, and then um, the last steps to this are the sound remix where they go through and um, make sure all the sound levels of every single item in the film are um, compatible. And then the final step is the um, color grading where they go in and make sure that the color is consistent all the way through the film and just, you know, really craft a, a, um, the, a beautiful film. Um, with the, the final touches, so uh, now and then, does, does all that take place in by people in Boise, or does this thing go all over the country as people work on it? Uh, our editor lives in the Bay Area, as does the um, sound remix gentleman, and then uh, um, the color is being done by someone in Seattle, and so it's um, it's it's quite a. Um, a, a collaborative effort <laughs> from all over. Well, no, I think Ken said, uh, or I don't know which one of you said earlier that, you know, you, the first thing you did was, and you talked about surrounding yourself with people that uh, were good at what they do. And that the, the first people you contacted were people in the Boise area and right. they were so supportive of the idea. So I wondered to mm -hmm. what extent that it stayed in Boise and to what extent well, it's migrated. Uh, um, we've worked with some wonderful co-producers, Wide Eye Productions, um, and it's uh, their um, uh, videographer Bill Crum, um, an Emmy Award-winning videographer, is uh, is our director of photography. So, and they are definitely local here. So it's um, yeah. All right. So where where are so now? You're in the last stages of it. And but are is the thing fully funded, or do you need? Are you still looking for help for people? Talk to us about the financial side of this, because um, I mean, if you're going to make quality stuff, you need quality people. Most of that time, that doesn't come for free. Um, so, talk to us about where you are, uh, well, relative to the film financially. We are actually currently in the middle of a crowdfunding campaign with Indiegogo. And um, it just we just launched it three days ago, and um, so we're now getting the word out, and and the support um, that's rallying around us is is just awesome. People want this film told, you know, shown, made out in the world where it can begin helping people, and so they're um, helping us with that. Got it. So yeah. how do we tell everybody how how do they find? Um, how do they find the website so that they can they can support what you're doing? I can give you um, the the URL for it, or um, they can just go to Indiegogo and type in "I Married the War." So, I went to your website. It says uh, that is imarriedthewar.com, and there's a button that says "Give Now." Will that take me there too? You bet it will. <laughs> There you have it. Will that take you? Yeah. Will, that, will that take you? Will that take you to the Indiegogo? It uh -huh. sure as hell did. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Boom. <laughs> See, we're we're still learning. <laughs> well, no. I, well, no. I just did the dumb person stuff, and I, I did a search on it, and it came up. I married the war dot com. I said that would be it. Click. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> and uh, and then there's a big red button right in the middle of the screen that says "Give now!" exclamation mark. And then uh, and then it uh, it took me to uh, it takes me to there. So uh, so um, you're 31 percent of the way there. So congratulations on in three days. Does that surprise you? That's awesome. No, <laughs> no, no, it doesn't surprise me. Why not? Well, because we've got a, an awesome team of people working and sharing this, getting it out there. You know, I mean, this thing is going to places where Betty and I would have never been able to penetrate groups of people that have money like that, that are interested in the story. So uh, we've got a woman in Hawaii, a good friend of ours is kind of ramrodding this Indiegogo thing, and she's spent hours on the strategies and and it's and then we've got a whole bunch of people helping her share the word and spreading it to all of their groups and all of their email lists and their Facebook pages and all of that social media stuff. So and I'm not really that surprised. So interesting. Neither am I, um, because one of the things that I know just um, is how broad the impact of this are. This is. Um, and again, you're talking about um, this experience of uh, women who married the war. Uh, well, there's a lot of other people that get married or welded to, um, whether it's the war or whether it's uh, sexual violence or whether it's violent crime or simply the loss of a loved one. Uh, I got an email. I was pumping gas in my car from a Marine on Saturday that said his sister and her husband were killed when... Um, uh, carbon monoxide filled their home. And, oh. Yeah. And could you help me? What do we do? I, we've never dealt like anything. I, I sat in your class, but none of it really applied to my life as it was a month ago. But it does today, and I don't know what to do. And so, I, I mean, to me, there's so much of this uh, in our population. And, and, and what I love about this is that, you know, and, and we don't talk about it. And then I do this thing in, in, in post-medic winning. And um, where I ask everybody to put their hands up. And if one of these things has impacted your life, not you personally, not happened to you, but it's impacted your life, put your hand up. And if a second one is put your second hand up, and then, but just leave your hands up. And I go down this list, rape, um, suicide, uh, bullying or hazing, uh, violent crime, kissing somebody goodbye who you loved and watch them die of a terminal illness. You know, just a horrible family situation. And I go down this list. And at the end of the list, I say, okay, now nobody move. Everybody look around. The only people that don't have both hands in the air are the people that don't want to put both hands up. But we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. And then in that isolation, um, bad things happen. Bad things happen. And, and Ken's a walking, I mean, living, walking, breathing example of it. Uh, you know, when... When he says, I, I was drinking a case of beer a day and a bottle of wine or a half a fifth of whiskey at night, um, you should see the look that Marines got on their face. Holy shit, man. And he didn't do that for a couple of days. And so, but that's where, that's where we go. We look for a solution on our own. We're groping in the dark. And I think what you guys have done 
is is or you're in the process of doing is ripping open or ripping off a Band-Aid that desperately needs to be ripped off so that people know that, hey, we're all dealing with this. Do not be afraid to talk about it. Don't be afraid to have a conversation with it about it and watch how your life changes. That to me is the most exciting part of this, Betty and Ken, is that, you know, the people that are in this movie, they think their lives changed because they, how different it is now that they've talked about it in public. Wait till they get a load of, I'm sure as you guys share emails and correspondence that you will get when this thing begins to be aired, you know, on an international basis, people from foreign countries that will reach out to them. And it is just going to be the most, and that is the definition of post-traumatic winning. You're you're sharing your story. You're touching somebody else's life. You're telling them them that there's a path for them, that it is okay. And I, if you can't tell, I'm moderately excited about it. (laughs) (laughs) Mac, I want to grab a moment here to um, give a shout out to someone who has helped us tremendously, a local person all the way through um, Bravo and um, I Married the War, and that's our website manager and graphic designer, Mike Shipman. He's just um, really helped us a lot, and we couldn't have done it without him. So, Well, let me tell you, the um, when I saw – I just saw the website today. I've seen the placard on different social media you guys have put up. Um, uh, I think I saw it on LinkedIn. I still think I saw it on Facebook, but um, – it's great. It looks great. Um, you know, the, everything from the flag in the background um, to the, you know, the, the, the man and the woman, I, husband and wife that are on the front and then all the pictures of, of the different stories that you tell. I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. So, I mean, well done. <laughs> well done. I'm a fan of his work. What, um, how did you find these women? Uh, some of them are uh, local that we, um, when people found out we were making the film, they said, oh, I know somebody you should interview, <laughs> and um, they referred people to us. Um, one of them uh, is uh, actually served, her husband uh, served at Quezon. Uh We didn't know her, though. And uh, but we found out she was living here locally, and we talked to her, and and she was our first interview, um, Terry Topmiller, and then we um, also put out a word that we wanted to find someone from the Korean War, and the delightful um, and energetic Gloria Jabot stepped forward and called me, and and uh, we just hit it off beautifully, and she knew exactly what we needed and and we uh, had a great interview with her Um, we have someone um, we found through another friend of ours who uh, was a World War II um, wife and um, uh, was also lived in in the internment camps she is uh, Japanese American and and um, so that was uh, someone from World War II, and then locally, um, the wife of a Medal of Honor recipient, Art Jackson, um, Sally Jackson, we um, were introduced to from uh, a local friend here, and it, um, and then um, I actually found um, Precious Goodson, who writes a blog on um, 
the internet. I was just looking to see what other people were doing and came across her and we became acquainted and, and so we went to Atlanta to interview her and you know I could just go on and on about how we reached all these people. Um, Brian, Brian, Dr. Brian Meyer, a national expert on veterans issues, introduced us to Ann Jackson who lives in Texas and uh, another friend um, through a totally different uh, world um, helped us find uh, Sally Zepeda in, in Texas also. Yeah, and, let, let uh, tell him what that totally different world is. That's cowboy poetry there. Cowboy <laughs> poetry. Is, is there such a thing? There's, well, yes, there is. Cowboy yes, there poetry. is. Wow. And then, yeah. and then we, you know, Michael O'Hara, who's in the film, in, Bravo, in Bravo, found a, right. found a lady for us in, uh, that lives close to him in Indiana. And then the, one of the guys that was a 81 millimeter FO radio operator that was a lot with Bravo, his wife, Francine Jones, and you know, it's just like some of them we knew and some of them we, we were lucky enough to have people that knew others and then some of them we just found. So, And let me tell you, the hard, the really hard part was all the wonderful women who were willing to be interviewed and we just couldn't. I mean, we could have gone on and on. We could still be interviewing people and, they're, you know, learning their incredible stories, but we had to you know, limit the number we could put in the film, so. Well, I think um, then uh, you should, uh, they should become probably little short interviews on the YouTube channel Trauma to Joy. Someday. There you go. Someday, someday <laughs> when I, well, it'll be after the first of the year, but that's going to happen. Let me ask you both to respond to three questions, all right? Kind of quick questions. Uh, do you have a favorite moment in the documentary i'm sure you have a bunch of them is there something that you find like i i like when i say you know um when i hear ken say and i didn't care right i was an asshole to people and i didn't care to me i always hear that right and i've done i, I don't even know how many times i've done post-traumatic winning but i always hear him and i hear the tone in his voice and that is somebody who's hurt Yeah. So I, I I'll, I'll go first. So there's this the woman we interviewed from uh, San Antonio, Sally Zapeta, whose husband was a in the army in Vietnam, a decorated veteran with a Purple Heart, and he got Agent Orange issues in late in life, and he was pretty sick. And she talks about that she refused to let him die. Betty, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's well, just one, that. I mean, that that makes me want to cry right here thinking about that. So, yeah, I don't know. He, you know, he's I don't, alive and well. I don't know. Um, you know, the, the, the Vietnam guys with the whole Agent Orange thing. I, I, you know, sometimes I hear stories, and you know, you get to a part of like they tell you the first part, you're like, oh. Jeez, and then there's a second part, and then there's a third part, and God forbid there's a fourth part, and you're just like, make it stop already, okay? That's enough for anybody in six lifetimes. 
right? And uh, and the courage that you see throughout, the devotion and the selflessness, you know, literally makes you want to cry. I mean, makes me want to cry. I mean, I couldn't even get out. You know, when I hear Ken say, what I just said, you know, Ken was lucky, was smart enough to hop in there because I wasn't talking. But when you hear, right, somebody goes through devastating experiences and then nobody wants to talk to you, you get told to shut up and get out of here. We don't want, we don't want to deal with you. I mean, that's rough, man, on a human being, on a human being that just has gone to serve their country. And uh, no, but and. Yeah, I, I always, I don't joke about it. You know, uh, I stand up in front of everybody and say, you know, I could probably go to a psychiatrist and find out why I get emotional over all this. And they would tell me some stupid shit like, oh, Mac, you really want to have sex with your mother. Um, and then I would, res- <laughs> to which I would respond, well, I, Doc, I guess it should be happy. At least it wasn't my dad or my dog, right? So what do we <laughs> what do we do about it? Oh, well, that's a good question. But I know there's nothing wrong with me because my gunny told me, right, a long time ago, hey, there's nothing wrong with you and you're not going to get over it, which even comforts me today listening to it. But, I mean, again, just that. Like, you, and you think of something and all of a sudden you can't talk, which is how deep I think these things go. How about you, Betty? Uh, do you have a favorite moment? Or I don't know. Favorite is probably the wrong term, but a moment that whenever you – that grabs your heart and yes. soul – Oh, most definitely. Um, I have many, you're right. Um, one that comes to mind right now is uh, when Precious Goodson talks about how her life has changed and all that she's learned, and um, and then she says she thinks she's a better person for it. I mean, that just gives me goosebumps thinking about that, you know, that all, after all she's been through and all that her husband has been through and all they've been through together, she thinks that because of it all, she's a better person. Wow. Yeah. Not exactly what you'd anticipate. Um, okay, next question. Number two, second question. There's actually four questions. Um, <laughs> Ken, did anything surprise you in this, in, in throughout the, the, either the interviews or, or the process? Uh, is there anything that, that, that surprised you? Yes, uh, some of the, you know, some of the women I think were, in some regards, kind of guarded about what they said because they didn't want to expose their husbands to embarrassment, although there's not a whole lot of that. But some of the, just the frankness of some of the stories and what they had gone through was amazing to me. I mean, they just spit it out, and uh, which was gratifying to me because, you know, that's what we wanted. You know, we spent money to do this, so thanks a lot. But really, on an emotional level, it was very powerful to see these people, these women, who have not really, I don't think, talked to anybody about this stuff. It was my take from a lot of it. Just spit it out. It's so. amazing, right? Um, to quote yeah. the squad leaders from 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines, they're waiting to talk to us about it. Yep. Which is surprising, yep. right? Because it's all, I, I don't want to embarrass anybody, and I'm deferential, and then you ask them a question, and all of a sudden they spit out this answer. Um, right. I had a listen to this. This is an interesting story along those lines. A friend of mine was talking to me. I was talking about adverse childhood experiences that a lot of Marines come into the Marine Corps with, right? A lot of Marines are getting away from something uh, when they join. 
And it, those numbers have gone up since the all-volunteer force because we don't have the same cross-section of the country. And so um, he said we were doing this after-action thing. And these Marines are sitting there, and he looks at this gunny, and he says, Gunny, you have any comments? And he said, so I started to take a note, right? So I, I grab my pen, and I'm, I'm getting ready to write whatever you know notes I might take from something he says. He said, and he stands up and he says, put your hand up if you were sexually abused when you were a kid. And so my friend, like, thinks, what the hell? And he looks up and he says, hey! And the gunny, like, looks at him, and then he looks at all these Marines, and he said, Mac, two-thirds of their hands were up in the air. And he says essentially what Ken just said. One, the question stunned me. But two, their willingness to talk about it was the other part. That, like, they they wanted to put their hand up in that setting. Which, you know, yeah, I don't know. Guys like me would say, I'm not, I'm not putting my hand up. You know, and I said, yeah, that was the other third, right? Half the other third, <laughs> like, should have had their hand up but didn't. Um, I, so, I, 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 to me, that betrays... You know, in our isolation, we we so crave, right? I'd really like to talk to somebody about this. And that's why, to me, what your film is going to be a catalyst for are those conversations. And that's why I'm, 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 I'm geeked about it. Betty, how about a surprise on your side? Oh, just how, how candid they all were about um, telling their stories. And that, that was just a real gift to me as an interviewer, you know, to, um, to receive that gift of, of openness and honesty and frankness. All right. Um, Ken, uh, give me something you learned from it. Something that I learned from it. Something that, well, I, I think something I got fortified that I probably already knew, but that, you know, this stuff is old. I mean, this is, it's nothing new and, you know, we're going to make this movie and we're going to expose all this stuff and it is absolutely nothing new. I mean, we have women from, you know, a 70 year time frame and they're basically telling the same story. So, uh, hey, but just the, the the upside of that is I'm going to change that. Right. And, and We're I change and, it. You know, you know what I mean. And and you guys are a part of it. And uh, hey, this is the fourth question, but I'll ask it now. Am I going to get invited to the premiere? <laughs> well, if you can figure out how the hell to get rid of all of this COVID, we might have one. So well. Uh, <laughs> We're getting a vaccine. I don't know if you've seen the news recently, but that's going to cure everything. So. Yeah, well, you know, so when's that going to show up? So, so. when? The, hey, don't be like that. Don't be Dolly Downer. Okay, so when it happens, I better have a goddamn invitation. That's all I'm saying. Okay, that was kind of a statement phrased as a question. Um, I understand that. <laughs> Betty, how about uh, what did you learn? If I could reduce it to one or a couple, one or two things. I'm sorry. What did you learn? Oh, I, th- I think one of the things that, that impacted me the most was understanding how old this story is. I mean, you go back to Greek mythology and, you know, there's Penelope, whose husband came back for more and just wreaked havoc on his family, his community. And um, so it just understanding, really understanding how old this story is. Do we not want to talk about it? Is that what it is? Because as I as I talk about it, and I show people that there is a path through this stuff, you gotta you gotta stop faking it. 
You got to understand you're not going to get over it. You have to talk about it. If trauma impacts your life in a big way, you got to do what Ken did, which is stop drinking. And so there is a path through it. Why don't we want, but it's like a dirty secret that we don't want to talk about. Oh, well, you know. Um, well, I, I think it makes people uncomfortable sometimes when you talk about this stuff and you don't want to make them uncomfortable. And uh, so it's just easier to shut your trap or they may tell you, I don't want to hear about it. So, you know, and you don't know who's who or where you can go to talk to. That's why you need to talk to Betty because she'll get you to talk about anything. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, it. You know what? That's why, you know, you know, here's another thing Betty told me um, after Ken was on and he said that, that, and I asked that we have that kind of exchange, like, well, ultimately what made you stop drinking? And he said, well, I had to decide if I was going up or down and, you know, and I'd pretty much reached the bottom and I was drinking a case of beer and he says that stuff, right? Well, Betty said, and correct me if I'm wrong, Betty, Mac, what he didn't tell you is that he qu- he quit cold turkey. Absolutely. So, Ken, here's a follow-up to that. How did you do that? Oh, I just uh, just your stuff. I, went to the bar. I, I decided I was gonna. I decided I was gonna quit. So I went to the bar and got drunk. And I came home and I told <laughs> Betty to take everything and get it out of the house, throw it all away. I, I was quitting, and that's what I did. And so to reinforce it, every afternoon at the end of the day, we lived in the mountains in New Mexico. And there wasn't a whole lot to do besides go to the bar or go around and try to identify flowers or birds. But anyway, I'd go to the bar every afternoon and I'd drink a Coke. Oh, just, and, uh, just to be a hard ass? Well, just to, to uh, be a hard ass on myself, yeah. 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 Wow. And it worked. You know, I, I, you know hey, simple solutions to simple problems, right? Well, no. So I just quit. I mean, I decided I decided that to quit, and it was weird because for like uh, I have no memory of about two months, very much of anything that ever happened because I'm drying out. But uh, it was not as hard as everybody thinks it is. Uh, I think for me, I mean, it's just I had to make up my mind I was going to do it, so I did. All right. What haven't I been smart enough to ask you um, without which uh, this uh, this discussion won't be complete? Betty? Well, I I just want to follow up on um, your your question about why don't people talk about it. Um, And it made me remember the two women that I actually had lined up to do interviews. And when it came to scheduling the dates, their husbands said no. I don't want you to do that. And um, so that's part of it. You know, they just don't want to be exposed. Right. So. Right. Um, you know, I, in anyway. fact, I, um, somebody's going to speak and introduce post-traumatic winning um, here in the next 24 hours. And um, her fiancé, uh, who was lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps, committed suicide. And she struggles with that. If I talk about his story, do I betray his trust? And I think the answer to that is if he was standing here and I'm, I met him, I knew him. I said, and 
and he knew that his story could help anybody. You know what he'd tell you? Tell the story. Mm. That's him. I know that. I know that. So, but it is right. I mean, it's it's hard. I mean, and, and there is that constant, you know, deference to somebody you love, right? You don't want to embarrass mm-hmm. them. You don't want to, and and God forbid, you don't want to make it worse. And so I respect that. But I will tell you this: everybody I know, after they talk about it, it's like this incredible weight lifted off their shoulders. Mm-hmm. And then the, re- the the reaction that everybody has. Now I, I I don't know if you heard this, but. I have a friend who called me three months ago and told me he'd been raped three times in his life. A Marine infantry officer happened all before, you know, he, he, he became an officer when he was a younger guy, got drugged and raped. And then, you know, I mean, a man growing up that, and then essentially gets thrown out of the Marine Corps as an officer uh, for being drunk and UA and things like that, all as a response to, you know, the trauma in his life. And he was terrified to tell his family. And he said, I've listened to you and all the different people you've talked to on your program. And so I decided I should tell my family. I said, and what happened there, genius? And he started laughing. <laughs> and I said, and then I, he said, I think you know. And I said the exact opposite of what you expected, didn't it? He said, yes. All I received was love and compassion. And I've been terrified for almost four decades about telling that story. Hmm. It's amazing, but you know what, but it is, it's that very real human struggle. And I haven't met anybody who's told their story who then told me I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. I had, in fact, I, I had a, a major whose daughter, her spinal cord is wrapped around her spi- her vertebrae. And she didn't, she doesn't have like a, you know, a colon. So she's born with physical complications, right? And he stood up. To introduce post-traumatic winning. And he starts telling the story. Because everybody thinks when they show it, it's going to be about combat PTSD. And then pretty soon, people start talking about their personal lives and things like that. And then everybody's like, holy shit, man, we're all dealing with the same stuff, right? And so he told me after he did it, but right before they deployed, I'm not sure I did the right thing. He sends me this letter in the middle of the deployment saying, Mac, you told me what was going to happen. And I was pretty skeptical, but... Throughout this deployment, at the oddest of times, I've had Marines come up and say, hey, sir, could I talk to you? I heard you tell that story, and do you have a minute to speak to me? And what it did was it gives other people permission to come to you yes. and tell you their story, and they want to. So it's pretty powerful pretty powerful stuff you're nosing around there, Beatrice. <laughs> the... um. All right, what else haven't I been smart of? That's actually a trick question. You're supposed to say, come on, Mac, you've asked everything. I mean, don't ask silly questions, but Betty. Well, that's what I wanted to say. (laughs) (laughs) So, Ken, what haven't I been smart enough to ask you that you want to make sure people know about this? Well, you know, I think you've pretty much covered it. It's like, you know, this is just, just a, you know, this is just, I think, fits in really well with what we did with Bravo. And I'm not sure when we did Bravo that we knew the impact that it would have on people, you know, 50 years later. So, and this story fits right in there because it's all the same stuff. And it's about humans and about trauma and about how we deal with it. And, you know, moving forward, it's 
stuff that all needs to be discussed because like you've pointed out amply in this session and you do every time we talk is that, you know, we don't talk about it. So no, and time it, to talk. Would you, would you have ever thought Kenneth that your life would turn out this way? No, no. You know, I mean like, you know, and just to, to reinforce what you're saying, for me to speak, because that's what I'm doing. I'm basically, I mean, in concert with a lot of other people in these projects, but I'm speaking about trauma and it's, you know, it's, it's changed my life a lot. I mean, personally, all of this, being able to talk about this stuff and because that's what I'm doing, I'm talking about trauma and my trauma. And, and so it's just like, I'm, this is continued, opportunity to express what I've learned and what I think and what I, uh, you know, emotionally, how it, I react to it is all been beneficial to me personally. And so, I mean, I, I, you know, when we started out to make this film, I didn't know where it was going. I didn't believe it was going to happen when we started out to make Bravo, which is now is like 12 years ago almost. And Wow. It's it's changed my life. I mean, I, the, the people I've met, I've met people I would have, I've never met you, you know. I'm then well, I won't say anything. I was going to make a snide remark, but I'll shut up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, I, we have met fabulous people. I got to shake hands with the commandant of the Marine Corps, you know. And wow. forty years ago, I wouldn't have wanted to do that. And. <laughs> It's, it's just changed my life. So, and it, you know, again, I go back to, you know, again, I could quote you <laughs> line and verse. I met a woman who knew that I had to articulate what I had experienced in Vietnam. And it's that, that is beginning. What changes Gene Sledge's life, right? Who writes with the old breed and that becomes so Pacific, right? Is, you know, he, he writes that story. His wife types it, and but it's it's him allowing other people into his life. And I always draw a similarity between you and Gene Sledge. You don't know this because you've never seen me do it, but um, I mean, you both stop drinking, and there must be an enlisted thing. You both take up bird watching, um, and so I don't. He was know. a smart guy. <laughs> he was a smart guy. I don't know, and I always look at Marines and say, "I don't know what it is with you enlisted Marines and bird watching, but it just seems to be a thing, right?" And uh, and they always laugh, but but it's this consistent element. When what is what is the pivot point in every all these all these different stories? And the pivot point is right, opening the door, and I don't fake it anymore. Not with everybody. I mean, I still fake it with a fair number of people, but the people that are closest to me who love me. I don't fake it for them. I tell them the truth, and my life has done nothing but get better. And and the pivot point is always the same. I begin to talk about it, and so so it's it's I, I find it pretty interesting. All right, thank you very much for doing this. I, and again, I'm I can't tell you how excited I am to finally get to go to a premiere. Um, so I'm fired up about that. Um, and I'm fired up about, about seeing this. When will, uh, is there a timeline for the release date? Uh, if we do it virtually, uh, we're looking at the spring, coming right up at this spring. Okay. And um, 
I, I just really can't wait for people to hear. I think this is what gave the women the courage to tell their stories is that they knew it was going to help other people. And so oh, I'm, I'm just yeah. eager to, to have it out in the world where it'll start doing that. Oh my! And let me just tell you: Are you prepared for the emotional impact it's going to have on you when you start getting, you know, emails from people that you have you don't even know you've never met, and they tell you uh, the profound way that you've changed your life? Well, Mac, we've seen that happen with Bravo. It still happens. We still get um, messages from people. Can probably a couple of week at least people telling him how the film helped them. Wow. So. Look at that, Lance Corporal yeah. Rogers, right? Changing that's the, me. Change, change the. Change. <laughs> now, Ken, is there any? Well, both of you, is there any better experience than reading that? And and I I call it the Grinch moment when his heart grows three times. That's a transformative event in your life that somehow, and as Frankel would call it, right? You've given your suffering meaning by using it to change somebody's life. Is there a better yeah, well, better feeling? No, in the world? you know and and there's one of the guys that's in Bravo, a guy by the name of Ken Corco. You know, he 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 does a lot of work with PTSD from a, a spiritual aspect, and he's got a saying that he says, "God doesn't waste pain." And you know, go out and let's talk about it, and let's use it to help other people. And and uh, I'm not particularly religious, but I get I get the gist of the message. Well, and, you know, I um. I people ask me when they say like Mac, how did you figure this out? And my first answer is always, I'm the smartest person that you know. How about that? And they all, they always laugh. And then That's I say, not possible. <laughs> then I say, then I say, there is no other path. What down into the valley of death and live my life there? Who wants that? There is only one path, but most of us don't even know it's there until somebody shows it to us. Right. And, you know, right. you know, for you, your guide out of that thing was is Betty. Right. That right. door opens. That's up. Right. And so my point is that you and your film is going to be part of this through education. When life shoves us in the valley of the shadow of death, if you if you go down there armed with a rod and a staff and you have a map and a compass, you can get out of there pretty quick. But there's certain rules that you cannot defy. And if you want to defy them, you're going to stay in that valley and it's not going to be pleasant. And we all know people that have gone down there and have never come out of it. And I think, yeah. you, I think the message of your, of your documentary and what I do all the time is that there is a path out. And, and, you know, and Ken's point, which is my point, I do it in a non-religious way, although, I mean, I've raised Catholic and I could certainly do it religiously, um, is – you know, the greatest life is devotion to things higher than yourself and, and, and people beyond yourself. And that somehow they're giving that gift constantly echoes back into your life in a, in a greater way. And, you know, that's what I see you guys doing. And that's what I'm doing. And it's just there is no other path. Endurance, which is what most people get taught, you know, here, take these medications. Here, come t- here Ken, come talk about Quezon. And hopefully that will make you feel better. And it doesn't work. How do you talk Quezon to a good place, Ken? You got you don't. Yeah, <laughs> you don't. You give yourself. You help other people. You use the experience to help other people, and that truly takes you to the greatest place you can ever occupy. And you guys right. are blessed because you guys do that together. And I can't think of a more uh, a more happy life than to be with somebody you love and be doing what you guys are doing. So, uh, on a very personal note, congratulations to you guys for what you've done. 
and uh, and uh, I can't wait to see it blow up on on you guys. So well done. Thank you so Thank much. You. All right, that is Ken and Betty Rogers. The website go to is I Married the War. You'll see a red button that says Give Now. Click on that, and that will take you to the Indiegogo site where you can, oh, it's gone up since we've done this interview. You're now at 32%, so congratulations. And uh, they, Exactly, yay. You can, uh, you can help them uh, raise the money to finish this. And, uh, and, and again, some films go out there as a piece of art. Others films go, go out, and this documentary will be one of those, that go out as an agent of change. And you can be part. And this, this whole program, you know, All Marine Radio and Post-Traumatic Winning is about this. And so, by all means, pull your wallet, right? Let the Black Widow, let the Black Widow see the light of day and, uh, and contribute to a great cause. So thank you guys very much. Thank you, sir. There thank you. you. All right. That'll do it. What an enjoyable way to spend uh, an hour and 20 minutes. Um, two uh, awesome people that uh, do very, very cool stuff and uh, have lived, you know, this thing that I call post-traumatic winning. Have, uh, have gone through a lot and then have uh, taken that and through the selfless act of giving are showing people a path that they too can live a great life as well. So that's awesome. More Balmain Radio coming up next right here on your home for it, the All Warrior Radio Network.